And so uh, we're going to look at Solomon today. So you can turn ahead to that particular point there. <clears throat> and uh, 1 Kings 4, verse 21. Um, I'll read this. I'll give you the first point. Uh, letter A, he was anointed king while David was still alive. Uh, this was done because of the attempt of Adonijah to take the throne. So Adonijah thought that he was a shoe-in for the king because David was old and sick and he no longer could rule and they were just waiting for him to die. So Adonijah kind of uh, got everybody on his side and they went and had a feast and he even got the, uh, the, the, the priest at that time to anoint him and make him king. Uh, but of course that wasn't God's will and uh, Bathsheba, uh, Solomon's mother, uh, and the real prophet uh, actually uh, talked together and they went to David and said, this is what's going on and so what are you going to do about it? And so what he did is he, uh, he said, what you're going to do is you're going to take Solomon, you're going to put my, my robe on him, put him on my horse and walk him down the street as a proclamation that he's the one that I've chosen to be king. So usually what happens is the king dies, and after the king dies, they anoint another king. Uh, but because of Adonijah's presumption here in jumping ahead, uh, God had to initiate a different plan, and they had to put Solomon up there before uh, actually David actually died. And so that's what it's saying there, that he was anointed king while David was still alive. And that was because of Adonijah, uh, the son of David. Uh, letter B, during Solomon's days, the, king was enlarged to, the kingdom was enlarged to its full ex extent. And um, now I believe the millennial kingdom is going to definitely have bigger borders than this. But to the fullest possible extent that Israel has ever been, Solomon took it to that, that extent. And you see that in 1 Kings 4, verse 21. And Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river unto the land of the Philistines and unto the border of Egypt. They brought presents and served Solomon all the days of his life. And that was a promise that God had made Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 18. Uh, how that they would have, unto thy seed will I give this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river Euphrates. And of course, they're talking about the north end because the the to the east was only desert but we know that in the millennial reign that desert will become fruitful and so there won't be desert there so people will travel not just through that fertile area by the Jordan they're going to be traveling the whole way uh, all the way through all the way the the full extent of the Euphrates River and so that's what the boundary is going to end up being ultimately in the millennial kingdom uh, letter C Solomon's kingdom is a foreview of Christ's millennial reign, his millennial reign. And we see that Solomon was wise, number one. And uh, 1 Kings 4 verse 30 tells us that. It says, And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. And he gives a bunch of people there. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were of a 1,005. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of the beasts and of the fowl and the creeping things and of fishes. And there came all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. So he, he was a, a person that was able to discern uh, when he saw something, when he saw natural creation, he would see God's hand in that and what God was illustrating in the natural. Uh, you guys ever heard, remember in Proverbs how he talks about the cronies? You know what a crony is? Now we saw them when we were there in the wilderness of En Gedi. And basically it's like almost like a, uh, like a big gopher. <laughs> and, so, and they would hide in the rocks. And so that's why he, he saw the crony in the way it would hide itself in the rock. And he used that as a statement of wisdom on, on how to behave. Amen. And so you look at trees. You look at the ant. You look at, all, you look at the lion. You look at all these different animals and he'd pull wisdom uh, from what they illustrate. And that's why we strongly suggest going to the Proverbs and spending time there so you can actually grow in wisdom and learn how to properly deal with people. Amen. Uh, I'm surprised sometimes the way Christians behave. Folks, 
it shows very much that we have not spent time in Proverbs. <laughs> Amen. And we've got to be very careful that when we, the way we treat one another because that has a profound impact on our Christianity, how we, how we can go forward in the will of God. And so we have to make sure we're properly discerning in our wisdom dealing with other people. And that's what Proverbs is. It's about man to man. Amen. And so if you find your relationships are being um, uh, you know, strained and there's rifts and so forth, maybe you need to spend a little time with God in the Proverbs. And maybe there's something more you could do to work on yourself or at least how to discern the situation where you're not going to keep making the same mistakes over and over again and blowing it. Amen. That's not going to help you in the long run. Well, I'm right, preacher. <laughs> well, there's right and then there's smart. Amen. And sometimes wisdom isn't always what's right. I mean, it's right, but it's not just what's right. Do you understand that? I can say all kinds of things to you that is right and true. I can say, hey, you stink because you do. <laughs> you know? But that's not the wisest thing to tell you. Do you understand that? And so sometimes what we need to do is learn the wisdom and how to approach people instead of just what the right thing is. And I think sometimes, Christian, they brag about, I'm right in this. Well, you're right, but you're wrong. Because there's truth, and then there's truth about truth. And the truth about truth is far deeper than simply just the truth. Amen? And so what we need to do is, is uh, make sure that we understand how to behave with one another. That's how churches become strong. That's how God uses us in a powerful way when we learn to love one another and respect one another. Amen? Uh, it's important stuff. And so Solomon saw that. Uh, of course, Christ is, is uh, Solomon was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Colossians 2, 3, it says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So remember this, as wise as Solomon was, Jesus Christ was wiser, and that means that we need to follow Christ's example. Amen? And so number two, Solomon built a glorious temple. And like I said last week, I think we have a picture here of what Solomon's temple may have looked like. Of course, the, the oxen and the, 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 the altar and so forth and the laver. And, uh, and so it was, it was fabulous what he did. And here's a little sneak peek at the inside. I don't know if you can see that. But it's pretty amazing when you went on the inside and all the gold and the riches that were inside of that temple was phenomenal. But whatever Solomon did with his temple, as glorious as it was, Jesus Christ will come and he will build his temple. And this will just be nothing compared to what Jesus Christ is going to do when he sits as the king. Amen? And so we got to look, be ready for that. Number three, during Solomon's days, the kingdom had peace. The kingdom had peace. And in 1 Kings 4.24, for he had a dominion over all the region on, this, on the side of the river from Tipsha unto Aza, over all the kings on, the, on this side of the river, and he had peace on all sides round about him. Wouldn't that be a great way to live? Have peace all around you? Wouldn't that be great? I like having peace. I don't like turmoil. You know, as a pastor, it just seems like you're choosing it because you're, you're putting yourself in the, in the middle of it. And I, I understand it when people say, hey, I just want to mess with people. I'm going to go hide myself. Well, you just want peace. But, you know, what we've got to do is we've got to help other people find peace in their heart so we can have peace together. Amen? So hiding yourself away and, and you know, keeping yourself from getting hurt isn't the answer. What we need to do is help people understand how to function with one another. Amen? And then we can have peace as a local assembly. We're supposed to have peace here. And in fact, if you're doing something in this church to take away someone's peace, you're not right with God. You're sinning. And you've got to repent. <laughs> Amen? And turn to God. And, and, and whatever it may be, it could be a money issue. It could be a uh, whatever, this person borrowed me this or I borrowed them that. Folks, that's why the Bible says you should rather be defrauded. Rather be defrauded than cause problem with a brother in your church. But that's not what we do because we, we're fighting for our rights today. That's what it's about. We've learned from the media. We've learned from Trudeau. We've learned from these politicians. We need to fight for our rights because that's what it's all about. It's not. In fact, the Lord many times tells us to give up our rights for the sake of others. 
And in fact, you can never be a servant of God if you don't give up your rights. Amen? That's just the way it is. Servants, I mean, wow, slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul went to prison, he didn't say, I'm a prisoner of Herod or I'm a prisoner of, uh, of Caesar. He always said, I'm a prisoner of what? Jesus Christ. No matter who put him behind the bars, he was always a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Because he submitted himself to him. Amen. And so peace will come when we learn to submit. And you know what? You may not get peace all around you. And that's not the key for your life. Your key isn't to make peace all around you. The key for your life is to get peace in your heart. In the middle of the storm. Now Jesus illustrated it as us going into the storm and him calming the seas. And he tells us, man, this is easy. It's easy for the waves to obey him. They're far less rebellious than human beings. Amen. He says, be still, they listen. He tells the wind to stop blowing and they listen. But he tells a person to stop sinning, they don't listen. That's why the greatest miracle that God can do is not bring peace to your circumstances, but to bring peace to your heart. Then you know a miracle, a true miracle has taken place. And that's only the illustration is the power he had over the seas. But the real work that he wants to do is work in our souls. Amen? In our spirit. Then you know that God's doing a work in your life. But you know what? We're very externally minded. We think God's working when he's taking care of all of our problems around us. I'm sorry, you're probably being deceived. And you're probably being led into something where you're going to be hit somehow. That's not what's happening here. The Lord doesn't take away all your problems. In fact, sometimes he brings them because he's trying to get you to have peace in your heart, you know? So anyways, Christ's kingdom will finally, when he comes again, he will bring peace. There will be no more wars. There will be no more uh, tumultuous situations, wondering what your government is doing. What are they thinking? They're hurting us. They're trying to do this, that, or the other. Man, it wouldn't be great to wake up in the morning and not have to be concerned about what's going on in this stinking world. Well, when Jesus Christ comes, you won't have a worry in the world. You'll wake up at night, you'll say, man, life is good. You'll wake up in the morning, life is good. You're going to put your head down at night and say, you know what? Everything is just wonderful. (laughs) Won't that be great? We'll all be sleeping very well. Isaiah 2 verse 4, it says, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Amen. That's when war stops. All right. Uh, number four, Solomon's kingdom was a light to the nations. First Kings 4.34. And there came of all the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth, which, he had, which had heard of his wisdom. So it's like this. People were coming to hear what God had done in this man's heart in how he perceived things, that light that was coming out of him. Amen? And that's with us. No matter where we are. When we're on the job, you know who they should be coming to when there's problems? And I know they make fun of you when you bring your Bible to, to work. And you, you say, you know, I can't work on Sundays and, and all these things that, that God is telling you to do. I understand that. <laughs> Something when, when the trouble comes, you know who they turn to? The one that has true convictions, not the, not the compromiser. I'm sorry, those of you that think that stroking this world is going to get you further in and give you a better position to help people in this world, you are sorely mistaken. I'll tell you what's going to make you, by you staying in the light, keeping the light, shining the light, and don't compromise one bit. Do it lovingly, but do it. <laughs> Amen. Now you may say, well, nobody's going to like me. That the devil will make you feel. But I'll tell you, when it comes down to it, you're the one they will turn to. You're the one with the answer, and they know it. Stop playing with the world. Stop thinking that they got something. They've got nothing. Folks, I'm losing more faith in this world as the days go by. I have got no faith in this world, this system, this ever. Folks, I want nothing to do with it. You know what? I want this church. I want to go forward with what God's doing, reach souls for him. Folks, that's what it's about. Amen? 
This whole thing about getting in with them, they will do nothing for you. All they're going to do is suck the life right out of you. That's what they're going to do, you know. Don't try to get in with them. They're not, they'll stroke you and say, oh, we got this position. They'll lift you up and they'll want you to be the, the ruler of the world, you know. Don't even go there. I'd rather be a pauper with God than a ruler with his world. Amen. Folks, God wants us to be a light. And a light has nothing to do with your position, with your money you got in the bank, <clears throat> with how it thinks you're so smart and great. has nothing to do with that. A person <clears throat> that has convictions and they stick by it day after day after day. And they do that with kindness. They do it with love, but they do it. And they will call you a hater and they'll say you, you, you're against everything. And you know what? You're not sitting there trying to convince them that you're not. Stroke, stroke, stroke. You just simply say, amen. Be a light. Bargain. Moses didn't. When it came down to the bargaining, Pharaoh and bargaining. He was saying, oh, leave your children behind. Moses says, nope. Hey, leave your cattle behind. Moses says, nope. He says, we will not leave one hoof behind. One hoof. And unfortunately, Chris, today, they've left lots of hooves behind. They are compromising day after day with this dirty, rotten, stinking world about whether they're going to church or not. Folks, when in the world has the world gotten the right to tell you when you go to church? I'll tell you something. If I'm going to go get a job... I'm going to go to Pharaoh and say, sure, i got to work in this world. But this is when I'm not going to work. Can I tell you about my testimony with our youth in Kenora? Those young people, every one of them got to the age where they started to get jobs. They were in a society that everybody worked seven days a week. And we were told time and time again that if you do not work on Sundays, you will not get a job. And I taught those young people, I said, tell you what, when you to apply, you just tell them, I cannot work on Sundays. I cannot work on Wednesday nights. Do you understand there's not one of our youth that ever had to miss church because of work? And every one of them was commended by their boss for being one of the best workers in their company. They didn't want to see him go when they left. Stop bargaining with Pharaoh. You don't need to. You've got God on your side. I'll not leave one hoof behind. Who told you that they were in charge of your life? Who told you that? The devil did. You understand? Your God is your God. You follow him. He's the king. You know what? You live today like you would live in the millennial reign. That's how you ought to live. You go to the places that would be open if the millennial reign had started. You stay away from the places that Jesus Christ would shut down. Do you understand that? It's very easy to discern for a child of God that's got the spirit of God inside of him. If you'll just say, if Jesus Christ would come back and set his kingdom, would he still allow this filth? And if the answer is no, then stay away from it because he's your king. You got that. Oh, well, you see, pastor, we can't live like that today. We've got to work in this world. No, you don't. You have got generations of Christians that have shown you you don't have to let the world dictate your Christianity. Amen? Boy, it's getting quiet. Now we're wondering, really? (laughs) Am I really want to give up that dollar? Your stinking dollar will burn one day. You're not taking one cent of it with you. But you know what you're taking with you? Your convictions. The things that you stood on. Your trust and faith in what Jesus Christ said in his word. That's the only thing following you. Your position and your power and your money and all these things, they're all going to hell with the rest of it. Amen. Wow. Let's be a light. Stop playing with this dirty, rotten, stinking world. 
They are not your friends. They will stroke you and stroke you until they take everything from you and they will spit you out and they're going to say, what now? Well, what now is what you've already always had and that is the Lord. Amen? Except now, folks, I'll tell you something. You take your car, you go smash it into a telephone pole. I'll tell you what, you can bend those doors straight, but it's going to be a little bit crooked. And unfortunately, Christians are happy with that. They say, I'm okay with running around with crooked doors because, you know, you know the Lord will forgive me. Sure, he'll forgive you, but you know what? Your tire is going to be a little off. You can never get all those dents out in this world. So stop playing with sin. Do you understand that? And I understand the Lord is good and he restores us and he, he forgives us. But you know what he also does? Leaves us with a dent in our door. Why do you want that? <laughs> you don't need it. Don't let the world influence you like that. Don't give yourself to the world. It's denting up your life. Everybody's supposed to bow down to that. Folks, I'm son. If you wrapped yourself around that pole... You know what's going to happen? Sure, the Lord will be there. Sure, he's going to love you. Sure, he's going to forgive you. And sure, he's going to call you back to himself. But you know what, what else is going to happen? You're going to be limping just like Joseph did after he wrestled with God. Or J Jacob, sorry. There's always a mark. Why do you want that? Amen? Let's be a light. Let's be a light. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart, the Bible says. The whole world was seeking the wisdom of God? What kind of world would that be? <laughs> Maybe if we'd be what we're supposed to be, we might have some of the world coming to us in a time of need, seeking out the wisdom that we have. Amen? My goodness, number five. Solomon's kingdom was exceedingly wealthy. And Christ's kingdom will be far more glorious than Solomon's. And the believer will dwell with Christ in that glory. And the Bible says in Colossians 3, 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Amen. You're going to be with him in that glory. That kingdom glory. Folks, it's going to be wonderful. There's, there's nothing in this world that can compare to that. Amen. Let's live for it. Letter D, Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs. 3,000 Proverbs. Letter E, Solomon sinned by multiplying wives. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I remember I knew somebody once. He said, yeah, we should live in the time where Solomon would have so many wives. I like to have that many wives. I say, really? Did you read the end of the story, buddy? <laughs> you know, sure, you saw that part, but I think the devil blinded you to the final chapter. Amen. First Kings 11 verse 1 says, But King Solomon loved many strange women. And strange, it's not talking about weird. It's not talking about with an eyeball in the middle of the forehead or a fourth arm out of the back or whatever it may be. That's not what he's talking about here. Strange is someone that isn't for you. Do you understand that? Do you understand that, young people, singles here, do you understand that there is someone for you that God has planned for you that anybody else that you have other than that one is a strange woman to you? And not only that, that one that you're getting involved with, if that's not the one God chose for you, that's somebody else's wife or husband. Stop being an idiot. <laughs> Start seeking the Lord about who he has for you. Well, there's not a lot of choices. <laughs> choices? Why do you need plural choices when all you need is one? Maybe what you need is not choices. Maybe what you need is faith. Maybe you need to trust the God that's going to give you everything that you need in life. And maybe you're not worthy of a husband or wife until you believe him. Amen? <laughs> until you believe him. And maybe when you start believing him, God will answer. The Bible says that he that findeth the wife findeth a good thing. And it says, and, and has obtained the favor of the Lord. How do you obtain God's favor? Do right, man. 
I've had people come to me and tell me, oh, this girl's for me because the scripture, uh, it says this and that, and it's pointing to this, and he's reading behind the, the words and in between the lines, and he's analogizing and spiritualizing and saying, that's why I know this one is for you. And I told him, I says, you got to stop that. <laughs> you want to find out how to find a way from scripture, this is what you do. Instead of trying to spiritualize a scripture, you just take it for what it says. That means it's, when it says that young men ought to be sober-minded. Literal interpretation of Scripture means that I will go to the Bible and start living what the Bible actually says, and when I do that, God will bring me and give me His favor. And until then, I'm playing with God. (laughs) Until then, I'm saying, oh, i got to find somebody. You're going to find somebody. I'll tell you something. You'll find somebody, all right. And that's why in the Christian church today, 75% of them are getting divorces. Because they no longer trust God. They no longer find a spouse by going to Scripture and becoming a husband you're supposed to be. Amen. They say, preacher, it worked for me. (laughs) Hey, folks, I'm glad that God gave me grace too. But please don't look at my life as the example (laughs) You know how you can be sure every time? Follow the scripture. We're not supposed to gamble as Christians here. Do you understand that? (laughs) Oh, well, it worked for me. You know that the devil and his strategy, he doesn't work within a week of time. He doesn't even work within a year of time. He works within generations to work out his strategy against you. He could have started 50 years ago trying to trip you up to mess up your life. So don't go by what happened to someone else. That's why we got the word of God that is timeless and it always tells us the truth all of the time. Amen? Go to the word of God. That's what we got to teach our children. That's how we're going to get back families that are strong, that are loving God, that are moving forward and and the church is becoming strong and souls are being won and there's none of this stuff about where's the people today in church. Oh, because they're all doing this, that or the other. You know, that's because we've learned to live apart from the scripture. Amen. I know I'm being a little bold tonight. (laughs) You understand that, folks? Solomon sinned by multiplying his wives. It was a sin against God. It says, Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go in unto them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn your heart after, other, after their gods. Solomon claved unto these in love. The ones that God said, don't go to them. Don't take them to yourself because they're going to turn your heart away from God. Amen. And sure enough, they did. That's why Balaam knew what to do when Balak wanted him to curse Israel so he'd get the money. He said, you send your women into the camp. And sure enough, the men fell for it. They loved these women. And then you know what happened? They began worshiping their gods. That's why you only marry good Christian, not even just a Christian. Not even just someone that says, oh, I'm saved. Oh, qualified. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's got to be more than just, oh, I'm saved. <laughs> their life ought to prove that they're saved. They ought to be surrendered. They ought to love their church. They ought to love the people of God. They ought to be serving. If they're not serving in the church and they're not loving the people of God, don't spend a moment on them. One moment. You understand that? Wow, that's a little bit too far, preacher. Yeah, I'll tell you what. If I'd invite Jesus Christ to preach tonight, you know what message he would preach? He wouldn't say, oh, preacher, You're just taking this way too far. I never wanted to be that holy. (laughs) He'd say, preacher, nice try, but let me give you the real thing. Well, I'll tell you something. We'd be on our faces before God like John was in Revelation chapter 1 that fell at his feet as dead. (laughs) Not sitting there, oh, they preacher, you know what you think he's... (laughs) I wish Jesus could show up at our church service once. 
He's been trying. First Kings 11 verse 4, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that was before Jerusalem. And for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrifice unto their gods. In fact, if he liked his wife, he, you know what? We'll make a temple for your God. And we'll make a temple for your God. And we'll make a temple for your God. And he ended up having a bunch of temples and a lot of places of sacrifice to a lot of different gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. Because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Amen. There's a verse that's been popping up in my mind and heart for the last couple of weeks, and I've heard people mention it, is 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Do you understand that? You hang around with evil communications, you will be corrupt. You will be corrupt. And we've got to stand against that, Christians. All of us, together. And we've got to stand against it. We've got to expose it. The Bible tells us to. It says to reprove those things that are in darkness. The Bible says that light manifests. It doesn't hide. Only the darkness hides. Amen? But the light will expose. And it's good to expose that which is in the darkness. So we can deal with it. Because we don't want to be corrupt. We want to keep our children pure. Amen? So we want to make sure that their communications are right. Letter F, and communication isn't just what you say. Communication is what you do. Communication is your lifestyle. In fact, the word communication in the King James Bible, it says far more than what we today look at the word communication. When we talk about communication today, we're talking about having a conversation back and forth. But communication in the Bible day was talking about everything you communicate with your body, your hands, your eyes, your feet, with what you do, with where you go. All of it communicates. Evil communications corrupt. Amen? Solomon repented at the end of his life and wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. So the Lord had given them all this wisdom. At the beginning, he asked for wisdom. The Lord gave him wisdom. He lived his life, but then he began to be, have his heart turned aside by the women of the world. And then he began to worship other gods. The Bible even tells us that he actually sacrificed some children to the fires of Moloch. He actually got involved with child sacrifice. That's how far off he went that's how corrupt you can become amen that's why many times when you try to live right and you make a mistake and you don't get it right you never think you'll go as far as you go sin will always take you further than you want to go amen so solomon repented at the end of his life and wrote the book of ecclesiastes ecclesiastes 1 1 it says the words of the preacher the son of David, king in Solomon, in Jerusalem. Solomon wanted to teach his people. Seven times he calls himself the preacher. So now, I mean, he's a preacher. 
He's gone through the he's gone through life. He has hit the bottom. The Lord has picked him up. He says, "Now I'm the preacher. Now I got something to say." Amen. Hey, there's nothing wrong with someone that's been to the bottom of the valley and to come up again. If you're right with God, you can be a preacher. God can use that. I don't say you have to go into the dregs of the valley to become a preacher, but Solomon sure did. In fact, very few people you know went as deep as Solomon did. He did everything. (laughs) Yet now he's a preacher. After repenting of his apostasy, he wanted to show the people what he had learned. Ecclesiastes is the best book on earth. Number one, Solomon sought to find out the purpose of life through experience. He wanted to experience things, and that's how many people operate. I'm going to learn this this way, by experiencing. (laughs) Many times we call it the school of hard knocks. Well, I just got to learn it the hard way. Well, no, you're just like a Solomon. You got your heart turned away, and you don't want to follow God, so you're going to learn by the hard knocks. (laughs) Amen. Nothing to brag about. In fact, it just shows you how foolish you are. Because we could just learn by following the Word of God. (laughs) The Bible would tell us stuff, and we wouldn't have to go through it. But many times we go through it because we don't believe what God has said in his word. And that's why he says here in verse 2, Ecclesiastes 1, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That means profitless, empty. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? He's seeing it all. This is the philosopher here. He's seeing his whole life laid out in front of him. He says, what real profit is there of everything I do underneath this sun? And under the sun is an important term here. It's repeated at least 28 times in this book. And it's referring to the perspective of man. You've got to be careful. Sometimes cults will begin to use the book of Ecclesiastes to promote their idea. Like even soul sleep or annihilation, those type of things. Usually cults will go to the book of Ecclesiastes to prove that there is no consciousness after death. But they don't understand how to study the Bible. Because we're talking about a preacher here. We're talking about a preacher that has experienced everything under the sun. And from his perspective, from looking from man's side up, he says there is no profit for man. Amen? But he's not talking about God side down. <laughs> he's talking about man side up. So in the first part of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is looking at life from the perspective of human philosophy through human thinking apart from divine revelation. Because we can say, oh yeah, but the Bible says, well, he's giving you a perspective without the Bible, without truth. Without divine revelation, only what man can perceive. And that's how many times the world operates. They make their decisions by what man comprehends. Number two, Solomon experienced everything life has to offer, but he found that all is vanity without God. He tried wisdom. In Ecclesiastes 1.13, I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This Sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. In Ecclesiastes 1.17, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Amen. So just trying to be the, 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 uh, the smart guy on the block is not going to make you happy. Then pleasure, Ecclesiastes 2.1, I said in mine heart, go to now, I prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure and behold this also is vanity, he says. This is the preacher talking. I said of laughter, it, it is mad of the mirth, what doeth it? He said it has no profit for me, amen. And you'll find that too after you give your life to all the pleasures you can possibly think of, you will wake up one day and say, you know what, I've got nothing It's done nothing for me. Amen. Satan just deceives me every morning. (laughs) Just like the drunkard. (laughs) Gets drunk because the devil makes it look good. Then by the end of his drunkenness, he's saying, man, this is terrible. Goes to bed, wakes up. The devil makes it look good again. (laughs) Every day, over and over. And that's the deception that Satan has over a man's mind and heart. He did great works 
In Ecclesiastes 2, 4, it says, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them and all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water with, where, therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I mean, he had a great irrigation system that even today people wouldn't be able to duplicate. And he looks at all that. He says, that's also vanity. Then he had possessions. He says in chapter 2, verse 7, I got me servants and maidens, and I had servants born in my house. Also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of the kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers, women singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and, and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on all the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no prophet under the sun. We'd be happy to accomplish one-tenth, one-one-hundredth of what Solomon accomplished. And yet when he saw everything, he said, it's vanity. It'd be good for us to learn that young. <laughs> Amen. Don't wait till you're old. See, Solomon was young. He experienced all of that through his whole life wasted his life pursuing something that never delivered. Then he was an old man. He says, now I'm the preacher. Let me tell you what I've learned. Amen. I sure hope we listen to him. Solomon finds that everything is vanity because of death. There appears to be no ultimate purpose. That's where everybody just has to come to grips. Every Hollywood star that thinks that they'll be there forever one day faces that thing, no matter how much money you have. Steve Jobs, one of the richest men, uh, you know what? He tried the best he could to get the cure for his disease, and he died. Everything he did was vanity under the sun. The same with us. That's not what it's about. Therefore, he said, I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. That means after I die, someone else is going to take what I've done. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored. And wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun, this is also vanity." Therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is in his wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored, there shall, therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. So we can see that a person that gives himself to that and his focus, his philosophy is everything under the sun. At the end of his life, he begins to hate his life and it doesn't have to be an old man you can be a young man and begin to hate your life i'll tell you why because your perspectives perspective is under the sun and you've not put your faith in the one above the sun amen we are more than conquerors through him that loved us Number three, at the end of the book, Solomon concludes that life is for the purpose of knowing and serving God. That's what it's about. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That's what it's about. See, that's why the preacher gets grieved when people put the world ahead of the house of God. 
Do you understand that in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, that's where service was? Can you imagine saying, oh, I don't want nothing to do with the tabernacle. I'm going to go into this world. (laughs) No longer serving God. Yet God says that's what your life is about. That's really the only thing that's going to bring you happiness and joy. Folks, can I tell you something? I know the preacher is supposed to say stuff like this. But you know, you know where you're going to find your happiness and contentment? When you begin to serve God in the local assembly, the local church. When you begin to serve the people of the church. And you start giving yourself to something. That's of God. Amen? That's what it's all about. And I know your jobs are so important. Oh, you don't understand, preacher. I can make so much money. Sure you can. <laughs> but you're looking from under the sun. And one day you're going to be, you're going to regret it. You're going to hate it. As much as you think you love it now, you're going to hate it later. Because it's all vanity and vexation. But I'll tell you one thing that you will never regret. It's how much you spent serving the God that gave his life for you. I have never heard it in the scripture, anybody ever regretting it. I've never heard a person alive in my life that has ever said they regretted serving God. But I've heard a lot of regrets when people have served the world, served themselves. Lots of regrets. So many husbands have lost their wives. So many wives have lost their husbands. So many... Parents have lost their children because they made what this world has the focus of their life. And they forgot. The Bible tells us, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. That means believe what he said enough that it makes you tremble to think that you wouldn't obey it. See, anybody that doesn't obey God does not fear God. And if you don't fear God, you don't have the wisdom of God. And if you don't have the wisdom of God, you will be judged in your life. You will. It says, keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. It's everything. Well, you see, preacher, I just want to get my degree. I want to get, and nothing wrong with degrees. We can get degrees, you know. Nothing wrong with getting education. But I'll tell you something. If you get a job, you get education. You know, what you ought to do is say, Lord, I'm going to get this job, and I'm going to get this education, but I'm going to serve you with it. See, that way, if you find that you're leaving the things of God to get those things, Now you've left your mission statement. You've violated your own agreement with God. See, there's no way God will ever require you to disobey him to get something to profit. Never. Never. And I understand we've all been brought up in our particular situations of life. We've all been taught in our own dynamics and how we find success (laughs) but you know what we need to do and i'm sorry this whole thing about you know we've always done it this way isn't going to fly we've got to challenge everything you've got to challenge everything and if you're not willing to challenge every thought and philosophy and tradition that you've ever been taught you will truly never be a servant of god That means grandpa may have been wrong. And I'm willing to do the right thing even if grandpa wouldn't like me doing it. All I know is if grandpa is passed off into an eternity, he would want you to do it God's way. He'd say, man, what a fool I was (laughs) to lead my family in my way through my pride. Amen? Amen. Folks, what a great, powerful message for us. Amen. <laughs> and I really don't think I can go any further. <laughs> this has got to be it. So let's bow our heads. I think it's worthy of an invitation, too. 
I think the Holy Spirit of God is doing a good work tonight. I think that we need to evaluate here where we're at in this whole thing. Are we willing to just kind of put it on the table and say, you know what, Lord, I, I fear you enough to believe what you just said, that the whole conclusion is that I ought to fear you and I ought to keep the commandments that you've given me. No matter what I think the world is going to take from me. No matter how I think it's going to hurt my plan and agenda. I'm going to follow your plan. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And let the chips fall where they may. I think you're going to take me through this, Lord. And I think that you're going to bless me more than I could bless myself. And perhaps there needs to be some repentance tonight, like Solomon. Maybe our hearts have been turned away. Maybe there's something that's stealing our hearts. And we're willing to get that right. Maybe there's some relationships that need to be smoothed out tonight. See, serving God is serving people. You can sit there with bitterness and a grudge in your heart. How can you serve? And I realize we get, we get angry at people. We go through things. But we got to be willing to go to God with it and say, Lord, you got to help me sort this out in our weakness. I'm not saying you're going to sort it out in one second. I'm saying you're willing to bring it to God. Say, Lord, I'm going to sort this out with you. I want to serve you. I want to serve in your church. I don't want anything to take me away from your plan for my life. This has nothing to do with the Baptist. This has nothing to do with the pastor. This has nothing to do with anybody else here. This has to do with me looking at you in the eye one day and know that I didn't live for under the sun. I lived by faith. I live by faith. I don't know how the Lord has used this message tonight, but John's going to play. Let's all stand to our feet. Heads bowed, our eyes closed. Let's make a decision. Let God...